You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Morning, everyone. How are you? Awesome. Killer. If you have a Bible, open it up. Uh, when I was in the back, right before I came in, someone walked up to me and they said they had a dream of me last night. And the dream was, I did, I was at their wedding and I read, this, I read some scripture at their wedding and then I yelled at everyone at their wedding for not having a Bible with them. <laughs> so, I'm like, that is a dream come true. Hopefully that happens at your wedding. Hopefully I get to do that. Um, so yeah, if you have a Bible, I'm trying to bring physical Bibles back. So if you have a physical one, like, praise God for you. May God's anointing rest upon you this morning. Uh, if you do not have one, you can raise your hand. A couple ushers can throw you a physical Bible. If you don't have a physical Bible, but you have a phone, you can download an app called Bible, and uh, Bible app, and you can get it that way too. So, but we're in a, we're in a series on the Holy Spirit, and, and the, the, here's one thing I've learned about the Spirit of God is that uh, the Spirit of God can break through distractions. He can. But uh, typically what happens, I hear from the Spirit of God the most when, I'm, when I try to rid myself of all distractions to hear His voice. Uh, the Old Testament says that God speaks in a still, small voice. And we have a lot of voices speaking to us today. So it's just good sometimes to rid ourselves of our phone. Um, I started recently uh, fasting from my phone once a week. So for 24 hours, I turn my phone off completely. And it's the most life-giving thing in the whole entire world. Um, it's really good. And uh, oh, wow, someone's clapping for that. That's my next thing. After everyone has a physical Bible, then everyone will turn their phone off for a day. And we'll be the most countercultural people in the city. You want to talk about counterculture, that's counterculture right there. Okay. Um, all right. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. Um, now, before I read, actually, I'm not going to read right this second, so you just keep that open. Um, I'm going to do a little, little intro, and then I want to review, and then I want to pray, and then move on to uh, something else before I read it, because I want to set some context here. So, First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, this is what we talked about last week. We talked about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does, who He is. And this is what we said last week. We said that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is a person. You guys remember this from last week. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it, not a thing. He's a person. Um, because He's a person, we can grieve the Spirit. We talked about that last week. We said, secondly, last week, the Holy Spirit is God. Um, he manifests all the attributes of God. He's omnipresent. He, he's omniscient. Um, uh, he, he, he displays the attributes of God. And we said last week, every believer in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Every believer in Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, um, if you received Christ and have, have um, um, declared him your Savior, your God, um, you follow him, uh, you have the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we said this, and we defined the work of the Spirit like this. We said the work of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. The, the, what the Spirit of God does is manifest the active presence of God, what God's doing um, in the world and especially in the church. And this is, this is a good, if you were here last week, a little refresher. If you were not here, I'm going to jump off of this and go into chapter 12 on spiritual gifts this morning, the gifts of the Spirit, what the Spirit does, how He gifts the church. So uh, let's pray. Let's start by praying, and then we'll get into this. Let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with us, that you're among us, that as Pastor Dave Daly prayed, where the Spirit of the Lord is, 
there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. True freedom. Real freedom. And that freedom comes by grace. So the Spirit of the Lord is, there's grace. We don't deserve your freedom, God. We don't deserve, and it's given to us by grace. These things that we're going to talk about today are called gifts because we didn't earn them. We don't deserve them. They're endowed to us. They're given to us by your Spirit, by grace. Thank you for that. Holy Spirit, would you use me to communicate your truth today? In Jesus' name, amen. So what does it mean to be spiritual? Um, San Francisco talks a lot about being spiritual. Um, San Francisco is uh, where kind of the, and it has been ever since uh, probably the, the late 50s, early 60s, is where the East meets the West. I mean, you have Western culture and Western uh, civilization and Western knowledge, but you have this Eastern philosophy, Eastern religion that's bled its way into San Francisco's very DNA, very culture. And so San Francisco is a very spiritual place. In our modern English vernacular, in our modern English language, spiritual often means immaterial. It means esoteric. It means subjective. It means mystical. And a lot of times being spiritual actually is completely individualistic. One author of several books on spirituality, her name is Sharon Janis, she wrote this about spirituality to people who want to know about spirituality, advocating for spirituality. She said this, you may think you're limited to just your physical body and a state of affairs including your gender or race, family, job, and status in life. She says, but spirituality comes in and says, there's more than this. You may think you may be limited to your job and your status and your race and your gender, but spirituality comes in and says, no, there's more than this. See, modern spirituality is rooted in this otherness that we all long for. I think why spirituality is such a catchphrase, why spirituality is such, such a hunger in most any person you talk to in San Francisco is that we're all disconnected and we want to reconnect somehow. And some people reconnect what was huge and, and uh, what started in the 60s in San Francisco and counterculture was reconnecting through um, LSD, through psychedelics, through all these sort of things and it was reconnecting them to this otherness that was around them. That may be why even you're here this morning, not to use LSD, but um, to connect to something spiritual, to connect to something other. You know deep down that there's more to life than just flesh and bones, and she goes on to say this, um, Sharon Janice, she says, the study of spirituality goes deep, deeply into the heart of every matter and extends far beyond the physical world of matter. Spirituality connects you with the profoundly powerful and divine force that's present in the universe. Whether you're looking for worldly success or inner peace or supreme enlightenment, no knowledge can propel you to achieve your goals and provide as an effective a plan for living as does spiritual knowledge. Father of modern spirituality, Deepak Chopra, says that spirituality is a journey into self-awareness. And you might have seen him on YouTube or whatever, or maybe read his books. It, he says that all spirituality is is a journey, in, or seen him on Oprah, or well, whatever, you know. Um, it's a journey into self-awareness, finding who you really are. And this is what he advocates. Spirituality is finding who you really are. And then by going deep inside yourself through your journey to spirituality inward, we connect with an awareness of the source of all existence. And he says, a lot of religions call this God. And so this is what modern spirituality has in common. Modern spirituality is esoteric. It's private. It's obscure. It's mystic. It's going inward. And it's completely individualistic. It's completely, if, to use another word, I think modern spirituality is completely narcissistic. 
It's about worldly success, inner peace, supreme enlightenment, finding yourself. However, the Christian view of spirituality is a bit different, slightly different. When the Bible talks about spirituality, it means something different. It means this. This is what what the Bible means by when it says that you have the Holy Spirit and that you are spiritual people. Biblical spirituality means you're animated or made alive by the Spirit of God. Is that you're animated and made alive by the Spirit of God. This is what it means to be spiritual according to Scripture. According to Scripture, according to the Christian tradition, the Christian faith, spirituality has to do with your physical body and your spirit and your, and your emotional capacities. And, it, and it's all of those being made alive by the Spirit of God. And this is not simply private and esoteric. It's flesh and bones being made alive. And the biggest part of Christian spirituality is that it's not for you. As we will read in a second, it's for the common good. Christian spirituality is not for the individual, it's for the whole. It's for the church, it's for the world. Christian spirituality connects to flesh and bones and it's for the world. That's what makes Christianity different. Now it is mystic, it is supernatural, it is mystical, but it's a different kind of mysticism. Francis Schaeffer, a theologian and philosopher, wrote in his book, True Spirituality, he wrote this. Kind of a lengthy quote, but bear with me. Here is true Christian mysticism. Christian mysticism is not, some, uh, is not the same as non-Christian mysticism, but I would insist that it is not a lesser mysticism. Indeed, eventually it is a deeper mysticism, for it is not based merely on contentless, on contentless experience. Like, the experience has no content, it has no meat, it has no weight. It's not this, this, this some meditation into this other being or finding yourself and then connecting to the universe. It has content, he says. It has content experience. It's on historic space-time reality. He says it's based on propositional truth. One is not asked to deny the reason, the intellect, in true Christian mysticism. And there is to be no loss of personality. That's a very important part of Christian mysticism, Christian spirituality. There is no loss of personality, no loss of the individual man or person. In Eastern mysticism, for which the West, and I think he writes brilliantly on this, he says, for the West is, is searching so madly now because it's lost its sense of history, of content, and of the truth of biblical facts, there's always finally a loss of personality. It cannot be otherwise in their framework. You will remember the story of, uh, of Shiva, who was one of the Hindu manifestations of everything. He came and loved a mortal woman. Shiva put his arms around the woman in his love and immediately she disappeared and he became neuter. This is Christian mysticism. It is grounded in the loss of personality of the individual. Not so with Christian mysticism. Christian mysticism is communion with Christ. It is bringing forth fruit. Christian mysticism is bringing forth fruit through me, the Christian, with no loss of personality and without my being be used as a stick or a stone either. It's not God just uses me as a stick or a stone or a tool, but Christ comes and lives inside of the Christian. And inside of the Christian, Christ lives and animates them, makes the him or her come alive, and then bears fruit through their lives for the common good. Fruit through their lives for the good of San Francisco. Fruit through their lives for the good of the church. Fruit through their lives for the cause of Christ in the world. What Schaefer is saying is that Christian spirituality is based on truth. It is the Spirit of God, truth, the Spirit of truth we read last week, born inside of us. 
Francis Schaeffer says that spirituality is the spirit of Christ becoming one with us in communion. And Schaeffer says that Christ's spirit is then bringing forth fruit through me without a loss of the personality, my human capacities that God is ultimately giving me. So remember, this is biblical spirituality. Biblical spirituality is being animated or alive by the spirit of God. This is what Christian spirituality is. It's being animated or made alive. Christian Christian spirituality is a spirit of God coming in someone, upon someone, the follower of Jesus, and animating you, causing you to come alive to the things of God in the world for the sake of the common good. Now, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, understanding what biblical spirituality is. Now, let's read from 1 Corinthians 12 on what Paul says about spirituality. Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, I will give someone a thousand dollars. No, I won't give you a thousand dollars, but who remembers the Greek word of the gifts of the Spirit? Pneumatica, thousand dollars, whoever said that. Um, Not really, but just Monopoly or whatever. Now about pneumatica, okay? Pneumatica, now that word means spiritual stuff, right? Now about spiritual things, about what the Spirit is up to in the church. This is what Paul's saying. Now about some spiritual stuff in your church. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant about how God moves in the church. I want you to be informed. And so, he says, verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, that is, before you started to follow Christ, somehow or another you were influenced and led astray by dumb idols. Now, the reason why Paul says dumb idols there is because he's going to contrast dumb idols to a live, living, active, moving spirit of God. Idols can't speak and idols can't hear. They're dumb. But the Spirit of God is alive, and the Spirit of God speaks, and the Spirit of God speaks through His church. The Spirit of God is alive, and He's contrasting dumb idols who did nothing for the world, and the Spirit of God who brings common good to the world through His believers. That's why he's writing that. Verse 3, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. What Paul's saying there is two things. The Holy Spirit makes us receptive to Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes us receptive to Jesus. It's only by the Holy Spirit that you have ever said Jesus is Lord. If you've ever said Christ is Lord, Christ is my Lord, the only way you've done that is the Spirit of God made you receptive to the things of Christ. And what Paul is saying there as well is the Holy Spirit initiates the life uh, of Christ, uh, initiates the Christian life and experience. So the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, he comes inside and he, he activates the Christian life. He makes you animated. He, he makes you receptive to the things of Jesus. And by the Holy Spirit, you can say, Jesus is Lord. Now Paul will go into how the Spirit of God works in our lives. So he, he just got done saying, the Spirit of God is alive. Idols are dumb. I don't want you to be uninformed about pneumatica, about what the Spirit's up to. And by the Spirit of God, you're able to receive Christ. You're able to know Christ. Now, he's going to go into, now let's talk about how the Spirit of God works in the church, how the Spirit of God animates us. How did the Spirit of God, to use Schaefer's words, brings forth fruit into the world? He says, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Underline that in your Bibles. Please remember that. This is why the Spirit of God moves in the church today, for the common good. Church, if we are a church that is Spirit-filled in this sense, people that want to see God move, then we need to be in this city for the common good of this church and the common good of the city. We are the hands and the feet of Christ for the common good. That's why we're here. Now, verse 8, he talks about some manifestations now. This is where it gets a little freaky in a good way, in a fun way. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes to them, to each one, just as he determines. Okay. Now, we're not going to deal so much with verse, uh, verses um, 8 through 11 today. We're going to save it until next week when we talk about the different manifestations. Today, I just want to talk about spiritual gifts. Today, I want to talk about what's going on here in this passage. Now, we made a little graphic here to show you what's going on. Um, so on this graphic, you'll see there's one God and one body. This is what Paul, I'm going to try to give you a, 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 a graphic to explain what Paul is saying here. Okay, so I'm going to graphically depict what Paul says in verses 4, 5, and 6. One God... This is what Paul says in verse 4, 5, and 6. There's one God, and notice he says that there's the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. Same Spirit, Jesus is Lord, and God the Father. You have the Trinity there, and he wasn't even trying. He just like threw it out there. And commentators like explode on this verse. Like, oh my gosh, there's a Trinity right there. And he wasn't even trying. He wasn't even talking about the Trinity. He just says, the Spirit of God is moving, and God is one. And God manifests himself through the Lord, through God, through the Spirit. One God. This is what he means, the Trinity. And then he says there's one body. Now, Paul, in the very next verse, we can't read it, this is in a couple weeks, but I want to I tie this together. This is one thought for Paul. Paul is saying, the Lord, Father, Son, Spirit, one Lord, and then one body, and you're a hand, and you're a foot, and you're an eye, and you're an ear. Look at what he says next in verse 12 of chapter 12. Just as one body through one has many parts, though one has many parts, but we, but all its parts become one body, so it is with Christ. Okay, so back to that graphic. This is what Paul's saying. There's one God, one God that manifests himself, that has shown himself as being the Lord, as being spirit, as being God, and then there's one body, the church, and it's manifests itself through hands and feet, and I w- I'll play the mouth today, the mouth, and then there's the ears, and then there's, the, and there's all these different parts of the body, but we're all the body, but we all make up one body. And the Lord is the Lord, but he makes up one Lord. This is what Paul is saying. And then what he says this, right in the middle, it says there's, there's many people, there's, he says there's many gifts, there's many manifestations, and there's many works. And this is what Paul does. He bridges them. He, he bridges one God and one body through all these many things. So this one God manifests itself, makes itself alive through one body, but in many different ways. One God, one body, but guess what? There are many people in this room. There are many gifts here. Everyone has a different gift. And not just different gifts do we have. Maybe we might even have the same gifts, we have to have the same gifts. There's different manifestations of those gifts. 
You might have a teaching gift, like God has given me a teaching gift, but the way you manifest your teaching gift is different than the way I manifest my teaching gift. And then he says that there's many works. We might even work different. I work at a church and you work at a school. But guess what? It's one body, one Lord, and we all work to make up this one thing. And then Paul goes on to say that all of this, God gives all this to build up the body. God has given all of this, all these gifts to build up the body. So God says, I want to build up my body. So in order for me to build up my body, to strengthen my body, to make my body active in the world, active in San Francisco, I'm going to give them all of these things. And then what the church does, what the body does, is it pours it back out to God by saying, the body is here to glorify God. The body is here to show, can you guys see that? Am I, am I too tall? <laughs> well, I, sorry. Um, the body is here to glorify God, but the body is also here. What we're here to do is show what God is like in the world. Our gifts are given to us by God to show what he's like in the world. And so when you are endowed with a teaching gift, when you are endowed with the gift of helps, and we'll go through them in a second, when you're endowed with the gift of service, when you're endowed with the gift of music, if you're, whatever gift you're given, you are given that gift. And whatever capacity that you use at Christian, you're given that gift to show what God is like in the world and to build up the body of Christ. All of us are gifted. Not just people who work in nonprofit sector, not just people who work as missionaries, not just people on staff of the church, and not just people who volunteer here. Every single person who calls Christ Lord is gifted. And you are all gifted for the common good. All of us are gifted. So, what I want to do here, what I want to do in a second is I want to drill down on the, in that middle piece, okay, the heart of this. Now, you don't have to um, write all this down. We'll, we'll put this on our website as a graphic that you can use for your community groups or yourself or put it on your refrigerator if you like it a lot. I don't know. Whatever you want to do with this, okay? But let's drill down in the middle section. This middle section is what is traditionally called spiritual gifts. This is what um, is traditionally referred to as spiritual gifts. So let's talk about spiritual gifts for a second. Spiritual gifts. The basic definition of a spiritual gift, and this is what I want to walk through for the remainder of our time, what is a spiritual gift and how does God use them? Here's a basic definition of, a, of spiritual gifts. Any ability that is given by and or empowered, and or is important, we'll talk about that in a second, any ability that is given by and or empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used in any ministry of the church the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural enabling that allow us to engage in the ministry of Christ. So what, 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 what a spiritual gift is, is any ability that is given and or empowered by the church or by, by the Spirit of God. Now what and or means there is that gifts can be given to you that you didn't previously have. There could be something that when you came to, to, know, to faith in Christ, God gave you something that you didn't previously have. Let me give you an example, like miracles. Like you weren't doing miracles before you came to Jesus. Like you weren't doing things where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a miracle, okay? You, you came to Christ and all of a sudden, God gave you this like supernatural gift of miracles, like you've worked miracles in your life. Like you're on your way to sainthood. It's that, it's that sort of thing. And you know, like I am, I am, enacting these miracles and I didn't have them before. So that was something that was given to you by Christ after you uh, have come to follow him. Or, and this is where people get this, confu get this confused, get this mixed up. They can actually be abilities that you had before you came to Christ, but the Spirit picks them up 
and he repurposes them to carry on the work of Christ. They could be something that you're given and you didn't have before, or it could be something that you, that you had, and then Christ and the Spirit of God picks them up and says, I'm going to repurpose this for the kingdom of God now. You have this natural ability, something that you do really, really, really well. I'm going to grab it and repurpose it. Now, all of these gifts are bestowed on the church without discrimination. All the gifts that we listed, that we'll list in a second, all of them are given without discrimination. They're all given without discrimination. They're given without discrimination of gender, social class, or even ethical maturity. You don't have to be a certain level of mature Christian to get a certain gift. That's why they're called gifts. You didn't earn them. God didn't go, oh, you know what? You're doing really good this week, and you've been such a good Christian. Guess what I'm going to give you? You earned it. Gift of teaching, bam. Gift of miracles, bam. Gift of prayer, bam. That's, that's not a gift. You, that would mean you earned it. A gift is you did something, you didn't deserve it, and God gave it to you. Uh, in, in the Greek, this word is charis, charis in the Greek. Charismatic comes from that. This is a gift of grace. These are grace gifts. They're given without distinction. Now, I get a lot of questions about this, so let me say this. There are so many women who are gifted to preach and teach the Bible. God gives those gifts without discrimination. Many women that I know, many women gifted in this church that have, that have teaching capacities in this church and all kinds of churches all over this world. God does not give gifts based on gender. He doesn't go, okay, you have a teaching, you're a woman, I can't give you the teaching gift. He doesn't do that. There are many women in our church that do Beautiful jobs, preaching and teaching. Just because you haven't seen them doesn't mean they're not here. All parts of the body are different. Now, we, what we do have to distinguish between, and this is not the time for this, is confusing giftings with offices. That's a whole different subject. The Holy Spirit gives gifts without discrimination. Preaching gifts, teaching gifts, gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy, gifts of prayer, without discrimination whatsoever. And he also gives them without ethical maturity. That's why they're called gifts. He gives them all. The second thing about gifts is this. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to strengthen. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to enable and, and comfort one another in being faithful to Christ and, the mission, and his mission until he returns. The purpose of spiritual gifts is basically, let me, let me twist this to a negative so you understand it. The spiritual gifts are not given simply for you. You are not gifted for you. They are not the way for your personal glorification. Gifts, spiritual gifts are not for you. They are not your property. Let me give you an example. Walter White. You knew that was coming? I mean, come on. <laughs> if you've seen Breaking Bad, he's gifted, talented, smart, as his brother-in-law Hank says in one episode, you're the smartest guy I know, but you're too dumb to see, and I won't finish the rest because I'll give something away if you're binge-watching right now. Um, this guy broke bad. He, he used, and the, the whole series is about this. He used his talents, his gifts for himself. And the whole time, he said they're for his family, but they're not. In the end, he lost everything. Well, we'll see tonight if he did, actually, lose everything. But Now, I'm not trying to be cheeky right now or goofy or whatever, but some of you are breaking bad with the gifts God has given you. Some of you are using them for yourself. You have been endowed with a, with a spiritual gift. You've been endowed with something that God has given you, and you're using them for yourself. 
You're not using them to build up the body. You're not using them for the common good of the church. You're not using them for the common good of the city. God has gifted me, for example. God has gifted me um, with the gift of teaching that I did not have before I became a Christian. It was something that was given to me that God didn't like. It was there and God repurposed it. I had, I had none of it. I seriously don't even like speaking in front of people. It's not a thing I like to do. Um, I would not teach every Sunday if I had the opportunity. I'd be greeting in the front every Sunday if I had my choice of what I wanted to do at the church. But if I did that, I would be neglecting a gift that God has given me. But it's my gift that God's given me is not for me. It's for you. It's for this church. And I believe it would be sad if I just wasn't using, going to use my gifts for the common good anymore. Like, I'm not going to use the gift that God's given me for the common good. But what's equally sad is that you are not using yours for the common good, and you might even be thinking that my gift is more important than yours, but it's not. And you've been neglecting your gift. You might, might not be the mouth, as we're talking about in the rest of 1 Corinthians, but you have gifts that must be used for the common good of this church and to show what God is like in San Francisco. This room is a room full of entrepreneurs. You guys can come up with creative ways to use what God has given you for the common good. You guys can do that. Because what has God given us? What is the pool of talent and gifting that God has given us? How do we use that for the common good? We can do that. The next thing about spiritual gifts is all gifts must be exercised in love. All gifts must be exercised in love. The whole point of this section of spiritual gifts will be explained in chapter 13. Paul will build and build and build and talk about gifts and talk about the way they're abusing gifts and talk about the body. And then he'll get all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and Paul will say that if I have the gift of tongues, and I can, and which was a highly valued gift in Corinth, if you spoke in tongues, you were super spiritual in their eyes. Paul says, if I spoke in tongues and I sounded like an angel, but I did not love I'm making annoying noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge and have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And then he will say, if I had the gift of generosity and I give everything I have to the poor in the tenderloin, but I do not love, what did I really accomplish? Or to go back to the Walter White illustration. You can pay for your own cancer treatment, and your brother-in-law's rehab and buy your son any car he wants and have $80 million buried in the desert so your wife, your wife and kids never have to work another day in their lives. But if you do not have love, you have nothing. The whole point of spiritual gifts is love. All gifts are to be exercised in love. And Paul says there's three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Listen, you are gifted. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are gifted. And then you are to exercise that gift in love. Not to bury that gift, not to hide that gift, but to use it in love. And lastly, every believer, on this point, lastly, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. And most Jesus followers have several. But no person has all of them. Okay, so if you're in here like, oh my gosh, I'm the whole package. No, <laughs> Jesus was, you are not. He had all the gifts. You do not have all the gifts. But I guarantee you, you have more than one. You have more than one gift. You have spiritual gifts or you have a gift. Now, which one do you have? Now, here is a chart on all the gifts. Here's a New Testament list of all the spiritual gifts. And you see in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, 
all these different gifts. And there's gifts like faith, and there's gifts like the gift of, having, of teaching, and there's a gift of evangelism, and there's gifts of service, and there's gifts of help, and there's gifts of prophecy. Now, as we keep this slide on the screen, I want you to notice a couple things. Notice a couple things. First, notice this. That some of these, these gifts can be lifelong abilities. Look at the gift of speaking. I guarantee you some of you have a gift of speaking before, if you were a Christian or not, you've just been endowed with the natural talent of public speaking or speaking. That's a natural, that's a natural gift. Some of these abilities here can be lifelong abilities or they can be newly given abilities like the gift of leadership. Like before you came to Christ, you didn't have this gift of leadership or like three years into your walk with Christ, you, get, you were endowed with this gift of leadership. People follow you. Or they can be momentary manifestations like words of knowledge, like things you didn't know but that God tells you and they come true. Notice secondly that there are several gifts that overlap. He only mentions some. And this is, what I, this, is, this is what I think means, I think everyone agrees on this, that this is not an exhaustive list. This is why I think those spiritual gift tests that you take online are not good. You're like, How, well, I don't know my spiritual gift. I need to take a test and pay like five bucks to take a test online. The reason why those aren't good because they try to squeeze everyone into these things. But the Bible's not exhaustive. There's so many gifts on here that are not listed. And you might think, I have that gift. Why? Because that test told me I had that gift. No. You can have, there's, uh, there's gifts of worship and gifts of prayer, intercessory that happen actually in the Bible, gifted by the Spirit that are not listed here. And so that's why I don't think those tests are really helpful. There are many different gifts. They're not all listed here. The third thing we notice here is that there are supernatural ones like miracles to quite ordinary ones like, did anyone notice the gift of administration? It was like, yes, I'm gifted. <laughs> like I got something. Like I'm in, I got in. Like that's such a random thing, right? Like miracles and like doing crazy healings in administration. <laughs> like yeah, that person, that, but that gift is so needed. It's so good when you see someone gifted, spiritually gifted in administration. Oh my gosh, they're the best people in the church. The absolute, everyone else makes a wreck of the church. They bring order to the church. <laughs> it's a gift that's given to them by God. They bring order to things in the world. Here's what this means. Gifts are not just for the four walls of the church. Spiritual gifts are also to show what God is like in the world and so you can have a very, you think it's a natural gift, but it's actually a spiritual gift that God is having you use where you work. There's a gal at this church who runs the offices of a, of a startup that have some pretty heavy hitters who help start this, this, uh, this startup in the city. And she has the spiritual gift of administration and the spiritual gift of helps, in my opinion, from knowing her for several years. And by God's grace, charis, charismata, by God's grace, she has changed the culture of that office when she started working there. And everyone at that office would say the exact same thing. They trust her. They confide in her. The place lights up when she's there. She does an amazing job. Though her spiritual gift, through her spiritual gift, she is showing what God is like in her startup. Through her spiritual gift, she is showing what God is like. Here's another example. You're going to be reading this in your community groups probably this week or last week. Here's a quote from Gary Brashears, his definition of what the gifts are. Gift of healing. 
He says, the spirit-empowered ability to reverse the destructive impact of sin through physical, emotional, or spiritual healing to bring both comfort and health to those who are suffering. Look at this last sentence. It is a gift many Christian physicians and counselors exercise in the course of their working. Medical community, you have the ability to heal. You have gained that ability through years of school and training and thousands of dollars. (laughs) Praise God for you. But you have to remember that you have the spirit of the living God in you and God can and will pick up the ability that you have and use it to show what God is like in the world. As you go to work in your medical profession, you are showing what God is like in the world. Everyone has to listen. Please listen. A natural ability becomes a spiritual gift when the Spirit of God empowers you, when he animates that ability, and he uses it for accomplishing the mission of Jesus. So doctors and educators and moms and dads and those of you in the tech community and finance and freelance artists, dancers, musicians, people in the service industry, and those in civic and community community services, you are gifted by God to do what you do for the common good of this church and to show what God is like in the world. God has gifted you beautifully, wonderfully, and powerfully. And what you need to understand, what you need to do is you to let God show, show himself to show what he's like in this world through you and through your life. Manifestations of the grace of God for the common good through your gifts. And so as we close, I want to read to you very slowly. I want you to contemplate these words from Galatians about you being gifted, by you being given the Holy Spirit, by you being filled with the Spirit of God. Let me read this to you, Galatians 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Amen? This doesn't happen by willpower, church. This doesn't happen by you saying, I'm going to now do better at my job. I'm going to now be better in ministry. I'm going to do better as a witness. It doesn't happen by sheer willpower. Willpower will not make you spiritual. Willpower will not make you alive or an animated follower of Jesus. As I said when we, when we first began, the Spirit of God makes us receptive to Jesus. The Spirit of God makes us open our lives to Christ to see that because of Jesus and because he was crucified for my selfishness, for my lusts, for my evil deeds, I can leave all of those where they were dealt with at the cross. I can leave all of those selfish ambitions, all of those deeds, all of those sins of hostility, all the stuff that doing things in your own flesh works up. We've all worked in our flesh, and when we've worked in our flesh, nothing but hostility and idolatry arises and ambition arises, but when we operate by the Spirit of God, we go to work and we go, to, we go home and we operate in our neighborhood like with the Spirit of love, with the Spirit of patience and peace and a Spirit of kindness and a Spirit of gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Church, Let's crucify our selfishness and ask the Spirit of God to produce in us the fruit of Christ. I pray that today as we, as we respond to God, that there would be people that like physically lay the things that they have, like their abilities and, and um, their giftings, like laying them out before God and asking the Holy Spirit to animate them. If you're a mom, Holy Spirit, animate my motherhood. Like make me a mom that's alive and loving and full of peace and patience and kind. If whatever you do, the Holy Spirit can give you the gift and make that thing come alive for the common good of this city, common good of this church, and to the glory of God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. I know that you've gifted this church in so many different ways. And I pray we, not, we would not be disobedient to those gifts, God, that we would not neglect those gifts. I pray now that you would activate in this church by your spirit, God, that you would cause people to understand their gifts. And I even pray that there would be ministry done in this church right now, like manifestations, like people walking up to someone and saying, God, it's given me a word for you, a word of knowledge, and your gift is this. You need to be using it for his glory. Or maybe there's really good friends in this room, and they need to go up to someone and say, I see this in you. This is how God's gifted you, and I want to affirm that in you. May there be ministry one to another that happens right now. May Holy Spirit, you minister to everyone. May you speak over people an affirmation of what you've given them and how they are to use that for the glory of God, for the common good of the city. Spirit, we can't do this in our own power. We cannot be Christians in San Francisco in our own power. We need your spirit. So spirit of the living God, breathe on us the breath of life. Make this church come alive Make this church cause us to become alive, God. 
The parts of us that are dead, resurrect them. The parts of us that are asleep, would you arouse them right now? Rouse them up. Wake us up, God. In Jesus' name, amen.